Hey, I'm Matt. G'day, I'm Aiden. Yeah, <clears throat> so we're back in each other's company once again, mm. fucking joking about dolphins. And um, we actually saw a show together today, which was really cool. We'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, so welcome to Hung Up. Cool. So yeah, the whole, or like what we want to talk about this week, it's pretty broad, but we're going to like zoom in a little bit. Like our overall theme is just words, mm. um, words in an art context, words in like a life context, um, using words to describe uh, art, you know, kind of what we're doing um, and just the kind of place and existence of words in galleries, where you'll find them and how artists use them. And then we also want to talk um, a little bit just about poetry mm. because a very intentional use of words that's basically <laughs> that's that's yeah, poetry sure. right <laughs> yeah. i think of the two of us you're more into poetry sure you're um you're a prolific reader and and a writer of poetry uh albeit a little bit uh insular i think like you don't, you don't share your poems right not really i mean i'm a a prolific reader and i did like a creative writing course at uni and i'm still writing but i kind of took the last year plus off and yeah i haven't really shared anything but i want to get to the point of yeah like performing it or Mm. publishing it like that would be Mm. a really cool goal yeah 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 i'd like to like to see that Mm. um so i think we'll like we'll let you uh play defense uh for this we were looking at some of the types of poems that people share on instagram just before this episode and um yeah i won't lie we had a little bit of a laugh about a couple of them you know sometimes it seems like a little bit indulgent or um uh kind of formless maybe um there's obviously some great poets on instagram too and it's kind of an exciting place for it you know you're sort of constrained in these interesting ways but i think aside from the kind of like uh like the theater crowd for our theater episode with Dino, like the kind of poetry and the art crowd, uh, you know, poetry is experiencing probably like the opposite of a renaissance right now. It's struggling. There's like a bit of a kind of like um, poverty of like poetry things to do and like, you know, poetry funding and stuff. Can you say like with any kind of certainty, if there's some forces at play, what like what, I'm asking you is what is so boring about poetry? (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question. So I'd say like I, you show someone who's like not familiar with poetry or not comfortable with poetry and you will see them like recoil. That's basically the way that I would say it. Like, I'm sure you've seen that. Like it's very physical, like it's all disgust. And it's funny that like something so kind of small and gentle could make people so uncomfortable. And I watch people like scrabble and scramble mm. and like here are some of the like things I see mm. on them. I, I see them feel like they feel stupid immediately. Mm. Um, they have like flashbacks, obviously, to high school. They feel like a deep, like deep internal boredom mm. um, they just want you to like <laughs> shut your poetry book and go the fuck away like it sucks <laughs> yeah. that's how like yeah people feel <clears throat> yeah and i've also noticed like another common thing is like really quickly trying to justify it in like an academic sense mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. same thing happens with contemporary art right you mean poetry fans will say no sorry i mean the person who's like not a poetry fan mm. you show them a poem or you send them a poem mm. and um one of the first things they try and, and do is to like like rest it into order like like wrestle it into order mm. rather like 
you know, they want to start giving me like an academic reading mm-hmm. of like, well, this, this illusion means this. Yeah. And like, you know, yeah, try and jump sure. onto what is concrete and yep. what is like Googleable mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed that like that's kind of thing. And Do you mean it's like the kind of thing where like leaving the movie cinema, you're like to your friend, what did, what did the end of that movie mean? Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing with contemporary art. And then when like, when you're really comfortable looking at contemporary art or really mm. comfortable looking at poems, I find like you're like, wrong question like just sit with it but that's almost like a pro level like we've said before that's like some pro level shit to Mm. just be able to sit with these things you're Mm. so familiar that it's like difficulties have just faded away Mm. yeah um yeah so yeah that's that's the experience that i see people having Mm. and maybe it would be cool to get into some reasons why Mm. but yeah it's it's funny because it is really visceral Mm. you know yes yeah, I mean, it's it's it, like all of the stuff, all the kind of like cheesy um, cliche stuff that people say about it, like, you know, we've found to be true in, in a, you know, in, in one way or another. Um, I think like, uh, I because I, I, I'm, I'm sort of posing you as the like the expert on it, but I also have some shit to say myself about it. Like, yeah, I think, um, you know, we were just we were just chatting before this recording about like the limitations of language um and, and like sort of comparing like a concept that you can commu- communicate through words versus the type of concepts that like a photographer can communicate wordlessly um and i think like uh you know we we sort of uh settled on how um yeah like language does feel very one dimensional but you know i think there's there is some beautiful um kind of third like it's kind of like a harmonic produced by the the limits of language that we really get out of great poets. Mm. It's kind of like how um, when in uni I was doing study about um, like the relationship between word and text. And one of the things was like, we looked at comic books and like good comic book, you know, sort of arty comic books. Um, good is whatever. I mean, sort of like people who are like, they're saying it's art or whatever. And um, one of them was this really cool one. I think I'll see if I can link to the PDF in our show notes, but it was basically a sort of pro comic book artist explaining how comic books work, how the, how the visual language works in a comic, you know, in a comic form. And a really interesting thing that he pointed out, which I still think about a lot to this day, is that all of the action in a comic happens in between the frames. So your brain kind of fills in the rest of that. And that sort of feels like the kind of harmonic that I'm talking about. It's like a sort of third resonance built up from outside of the actual words on the page that we get from good poets. And then like, you know, in in that if we're looking at it like that, it's like the kind of the sort of plain old meaning of it just what it means sort of falls down a little bit in the in the sort of hierarchy of what's interesting about it right yeah for sure if we talk about that like as a skill like understanding and appreciation and it's interesting because it's like the same word understanding but it's kind of like a deep down gut understanding you know the way that like things that just are pleasurable don't need to be comprehended like (laughs) you don't need (laughs) to say like why was that sex so good Mm. why was that burger so good Mm. you can talk about that but like you know we had breakfast with a friend this morning we ate these like big fatty like (laughs) drippy egg sandwiches (laughs) and no one was like justifying why it was so good (laughs) we're just like just you know eating fat tastes good yeah yeah that's the end of the story yeah true and uh, there's a couple things (laughs) that i just want to say about like what i think has led to you know poetry being particularly um uncomfortable for people and i think it really is that skill so if we even go back to like i don't know what 50s 60s like poetry was just way more in the culture Mm. it just was more you know uh, prevalent you would have had 
lots of lessons in school probably about exactly. it. Exactly. So that's one thing. It was more in the culture. <clears throat> so people just kind of like learn to deal with the form, mm. like as kids. Mm. Uh, and also I think poetry was more formal. Yeah. Like pre-free sure. verse. Sure. Um, we had like rhyme. Mm. We had like, you know, measures. Uh, and that's like a framework that I think makes un- like comprehending and feeling poetry a lot easier. Mm. Um, and then like, you know, wh- whenever free verse was around, I'm not, I don't even know when it started, but like pretty much today, mm. uh, you know, it's 95% free verse. Yeah. You know, it's not a sonnet. It's not yeah. whatever. It doesn't Rhyming usually. Rhyming is kind of taking the backseat. Rhyming's sure. taking the backseat. Yeah. But like, we should talk later. Like, obviously, yeah. <laughs> like all of rap, like the most popular genre, one yeah. of the most profound genres, yeah. a genre of poetry, like you could say that mm. everyone understands. Mm. Yeah. Like in, in rap, like, you know, or even like any songwriting, like the, mm. uh, what do you call it? Like the next line rhyme, mm. like in poetry now, that's so like childish yes. sounding to yeah. like have like a yeah. couplets yeah. make totally. it sound like really, like really simple. Yeah. yeah. Simple and yeah. like old fashioned. Yeah. But then yeah. like, you've got like a rapper, like yeah. rapping about like some serious shit yeah. and it's like yeah. couplets. <laughs> it, it is couplets, but they have very interesting like rhyme schemes. That's and like, true. there is some complex shit going on often. Like, 100%. you know, those websites where they analyze like every single like intra line, like yes. within the line, line rhyme and stuff and it's like whoa you know yeah some very complex shit sometimes yeah. going on which is cool yeah the, hip-hop is a really interesting um like place to talk about word as well it's it's um i was talking about this last night we had a few people around um and a couple of us were talking about music and i was kind of saying how it seemed like okay so i'm a musician right and i write songs and i was kind of saying how it seems like a lot of people have reported to me that they don't really hear the lyrics until they really love the piece of music. So it's like, you've got to, you know, absolutely fall in love with a song and then you go and look up the lyrics or something, or you then sort of maybe pay attention hard enough or whatever to discern them. I guess it's funny because what I've kind of said so far is, you know, this is like my, um, I don't know, like teacher kind of mood. Like I've kind of passed the age of like, being angry at individuals for not liking poetry is <laughs> not going to further my cause. Sure. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sure, like, yeah. there's no point blaming people for thinking that it's stupid. Yeah. Like, it's like any other thing. Like, you just got to, you know, really mine the value for yourself. Mm. Like, I don't know, whatever it is totally. when you're into niche things, yeah. like, you don't get the pleasure of sharing with, like, the rest of yeah. the world. Like, like hungup.au yeah, on Instagram. Like, fucking sweet, like, hyper-local <laughs> art podcasts. Um, yeah, but it, it means so much to me. And then I guess what what I'm what I'm getting at is that I'm kind of more interested now in like the structural, cultural and structural reasons um, that po- poetry like and you know we're p- kind of talking about like academic printed you know in a small poetry book poetry mm-hmm. the kind of shit that's in a journal or you know published by like mm. yeah, Vagabond or Giramondo like mm. one of the local yeah. uh, Aussie publishers. Um, yeah, and I guess, like, what's interesting to me is it is at once really unpopular, but its um, form, I think, is, like, really rife for being hugely popular. Mm. Like, I actually saw, like, a poetry Instagram with, like, 300k followers <laughs> called Poetry is Not a Luxury. Wow. And they just repost, um, 
like popular poems hmm. and the poems are not like that good but they're, hmm. they're good enough like they're academic published regarded poems sure. so like you know as someone that cares about poems I'm like okay good like it's not like trash with yeah, 300k it's poems it's like rupee what are they called yeah, yeah. Like, rupee kawa poem yeah, like it's right. a real quote real poem yeah. and like you know lots of people like it hmm. and that's something that I've always kind of been fascinated with is sure. not people using Instagram to share their own stuff mm -hmm. the kind of quote bad stuff that doesn't have a reader in mind but Instagram like even just the grid being a really really good way as you're scrolling like you scroll past your fucking mate's dinner and you scroll mm -hmm. past like mm -hmm. a new outfit and you scroll past an ad and then you stop for a second and you read a poem mm -hmm. and like this morning like I just went to Gould's and picked up like a William Carlos Williams poem and he is awesome and he writes these like hyper minimalist Mm. poems like he'll have like a nine he's like an old guy from yeah, like yeah. the 30s or 40s sure. and uh he writes like nine word poems mm. and like that would be so perfect on the grid between yes. your fucking ad and true. your brekkie true and you just read it to yourself and you keep scrolling yeah and like it just it kind of it's really interesting because yeah. i think that's a, a like one of the things i love about poetry so much is it's so like digestible mm. yeah not digestible obviously it's very difficult for us but like it could be so digestible sure. you know yeah, there's some interesting, like, sort of minimal artists in that space. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'll bring up uh, Mitchell Cumming, who I've been, like, sh sharing you some of his, like, poems for a while. And it's, I don't even know if you could call, I don't know if they sort of sit in their own genre because some of them are one word, you know, two words or something. And, like, interesting um, sort of separations, like, a, a place to put a comma, you know, or just tiny little micro poems, which kind of get at this kind of dissective, microscopic kind of nitty gritty thing in poetry. Maybe it's for, you know, poetry heads or something, but I think they're kind of successful in, in many ways in that they're so digestible, like you said. Um, yeah, I... I think um, Instagram is a really interesting place. Like, and, and also, I don't know if what you, I don't know if you, this is how you meant it, but you know, it, it sort of it, it it gives this kind of middle ground to people where it's like you could see a Sylvia Plath poem on a you know who's a total rock star of the genre of the of the medium. Uh, you could see a Sylvia Sylvia Plath poem on a feed, but you could also see yeah someone that you'd never heard of before who was actually quite accomplished, but you know just you just didn't run in that circle or whatever um you know that's cool i i think like even just seeing your friends like let's say like um you know kind of annoying poem or whatever um it, it's kind of cool just to just to have some kind of like ascent to that um type of content going on maybe i'm just riffing here yeah no i, I really like that it's really interesting um it makes me start to think about conversation we we're having earlier just about like yeah the word versus the image, obviously Instagram is like, you know, it's an image platform. So it's kind of funny to have, you know, you know, there's a big proliferation right at one point where it was like text-based posts everywhere, like big <laughs> yeah. blocks of text, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the square where there's meant sure. to be a picture, there's meant yeah. to be a face. And now huh. we're just filling it up with words. Mm. Um, kind of tiring, actually. Hmm. Um, one thing I want to say just, yeah, on, you know, the reasons why people find it difficult is like, if... If you have a book of poems at home, how many people do you think are reading those out loud, like to themselves? Hmm, very few, I would say. Very few, right? Yeah. Um, but, and this is just a guess, but I feel like back in the day, like 50s, 60s, 70s, poetry's heyday, people would have felt a lot more comfortable reading them. Mm. Because as far as I'm aware, like the poetry poem doesn't really exist until you voice it. So you sort of outlined the kind of um, gut reactions that people have when maybe you show them a book of poetry or something. I think another thing that they 
feel is like this kind of um, self-consciousness, you know, that kind of like um, empathetic embarrassment for someone displaying so vulnerably a part of themselves. You know, it feels like the thought of reading my poem to even my close friends is so shatteringly embarrassing that the thought of someone else committing words to paper or even reading it aloud, just it, it gives me that sort of projected embarrassment. Do you think that, d does that sound true? That tracks, like, I, that's completely true, <laughs> especially when so much poetry like yeah i was just saying i joined this like poetry discord because i was craving more poetry chat mm. and it has the always the breakdown of like a cool discussion and sharing good poets and it's like all these people that know a lot about poetry and and do all the things that you're meant to do but then mm. in the sharing channel like mm. it's shocking like it's really bad <laughs> because it's really yeah. hard to write poetry it and also hard, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, but to what your point like it is mm. so sappy and it, mm. and you can tell like i guess what's what's embarrassing about it like either writing it or reading it or a bad poem, the like really mm. sad thing about a bad poem is that you realize that there's this like really visible disparity between, you know, the intensity of the emotion, like the kind of beautiful human, like engulfing experience of being emotional, whether it's a good emotion or a bad emotion, like how fucking complex and tough those emotions are. Like I keep saying now, I'm like, why are emotions so strong? Like what's going on here? <laughs> what's happening to me? Um, <laughs> And then you see like this, it's like almost like drawing, right? Like if mm. you get an average adult to draw, mm. they're embarrassed because it's so silly. Like yes. it looks like a yes. five-year-old. Yes. And yeah. that's kind of what these poems yeah. look like. It's like mm. a five-year-old's rendition of an emotion. Mm. And you see and feel this huge disparity between yeah. like this complex world that you know they feel and then this just awful yeah. expression of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because like part of, I guess like there feels like a bit of like conceit or premise at play which is like, you know, if, if someone was, for example, they wanted to express that they were sad, you know, if you were at the pub with your mate, it would be actually quite easy to show, to walk them through what's going on, you mm. know, but then just to, to put that, write that down line by line, you know, it would just be a really boring report for a stranger to read, you know? So it's like, th there's this kind of like, um, the sort of unfortunate, oh, not unfortunate, though, like the, the kind of like barrier of entry, you know, for it being interesting is actually like, I think higher than people might expect, given how like fluent you might be at expressing yourself to someone in just normal prose conversation, where like, you know, if you start to write it down, it, it sort of just looks boring immediately. But then, yeah, th I think that's the gift or, that, or like the, um, that's the, uh, the, the, the sort of trick or something that a, a good poet has <laughs> where they're, um, you know, it, it, it tricks you. It, it feels like someone talking to you at the, not necessarily at the pub. We use that often as like a stand-in for just all conversation. <laughs> um, but, you know, it feels like someone just talking very, very plainly to you sometimes when actually the trick is that, no, this is highly constructed language with very specific chosen words. It took me half an hour to find that word. And it's like the or mm. it's an or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned before, like the word like microscopic. Mm. Uh, who is it? Oh, Oscar Wilde uh -huh. has like a uh, like, little like quip around writing poetry. Someone asked him, like, how was your day? Like, how did it go? And he's like, I spent all morning like uh, inserting a comma into the poem <laughs> and then uh, all evening taking it out. Like, <laughs> that's the, and that's what that's it's great. like. Though. Yeah, and that is what as, it's like. Yeah. As you get like love that. closer and closer with the poem, like you start to find things like, you know, a breath, like the, uh, the poet, the poem and the poet will make you pause mm. like with the selection of words and 
that's why it's so important to voice it. Mm, that's where it lives. Yeah. Like it lives in the yeah, voice, sure. in the spoken, in the projection. Yeah. For me, like the, the speaking, it makes you feel more comfortable with mm. it, makes you really allow, like makes it yours. Like mm. I said to you sometimes, almost as if like you were being the ability, like given the ability by your favorite artist to like sing as yeah. they would. Yeah. Because you already have the capacity sure. to speak. Sure. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's the other thing that we haven't even really gotten into, which is, you know, the, the, that sort of level of ownership that you can have of something. Um, like even more than a song where, where I can sing along to my like favorite Stevie Wonder song. But if I could read one of these poems, you know, out loud in my room, it's sort of, it's enacted. It's like the room is the gallery where it's shown and it's my space and it's, I'm surrounded by my stuff and it's on my bed, you know, it's really, un it's on my terms and I can kind of, I can sort of, um, I, I think with some poems, especially, you know, more kind of far out modern poems, I can sort of do my own interpretation and stuff. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, w when you sort of, when you're finished, it's like you really did get to hold it in your hand a lot more, I think, a, of an intimate experience than so many other works. You know, I could take home a printed picture of something from a gallery and it would, it would, it's now surrounded by my things and it's not in a gallery, but you know, it's still like, a, it's sort of been removed from somewhere, whereas this mm. poem is kind of sprouting out inside my room, let's say. 100%. And you are like, if we agree that the poetry, it's kind of like the death of the author thing, like the poetry, poem is only alive when it's voiced. Like, you're an essential participant in, mm. in the poem's existence. Hmm, true. Um, like, you're really part of, part of it. And mm. I've had moments, like, I remember, like, yeah, sitting up late at night and, like, honestly feeling like, and it's only happened, like, honestly twice. Like, once with a portrait of uh, Anna Akhmatova, where I felt like I was, like, communing directly with the person, <laughs> which was really powerful. Mm. I was at, like, a, like, Russian socialist exhibition in <laughs> the UK. Cool. And that was crazy. Like, like, I really felt like I was standing in front of her. Wow. Uh, and then once with a poem, I think it was just by Langston Hughes, and I felt like, yeah, I was speaking with him, mm. and that was really wild. Mm. There's this famous, um, like, Frank O'Hara recording. Frank O'Hara is, like, one of our favorite poets, a very, like, conversational, like, he's in the so-called, like, New York school Um and he was super into art, actually. He worked mm. at the MoMA for ages. Mm. You should totally check him out. He's, he's a really good entry point mm. for this kind of snappy, um, you know, chatty poetry that, that we love. Mm. But yeah, um, he has this really cool, like, recording online, just on YouTube of, like, um, he's at some kind of, like, lecture theater in Manhattan or whatever. Or, and yeah, everyone is just, like, cackling. Like, you can hear, like, huh. all these young people and, mm. like, you know, a whole room full of them. And everyone's fucking laughing at all <laughs> of his poetic jokes <laughs> and listening silently as <laughs> he reads them. I wouldn't be able to stay long anyway. Maybe we could go somewhere nearer. I'm not wearing a jacket, just like you weren't wearing a tie. Well, I didn't say we had to go. I don't care whether you're wearing one. We don't really have to do anything. Well, all right, let's not. Okay, I'll call you. Yes, call me. <laughs> the next poem's called Poem 2. Wow. So I just feel like if it was that you know in the fabric of life back then, mm. I don't know if it's so much like this capitalist thing or a platform thing. It's just like it was more normal mm. to read poems. Like it's super normal to listen to music. Mm. Like I guess it always has been, but mm. like, I just almost think like reading poetry would have just been sure. normalized. Yeah. And now it's unusual. Mm. I kind of need to pee. You just need to, we need to finish the podcast. Do you want to just go pee? Let's hit pause. Let's do the podcast. Okay. Now we're in an art gallery. 
So this is kind of a different world to what we were sort of talking about, but I think they're connected and, and they definitely have overlaps. And some poets, I bet you, write poems and do artworks. Um, can we just get it out, like, right at the top of this section, talk about neon, uh, words in neon. Mm. Um, it was on the, uh, I think it was, like, a 2018 white pube post that they reposted recently. They've been doing, like, TBTs. Um, and it was, like, one of their, like, art biennale uh, fucking bingo cards, like, bingo little points was, like, uh, you see a work that is words in neon. Can we just get like, can we just try some fucking hot takes on this for a bit and, and just see what comes out? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I like in like a visual culture way. I just want to say like at my fucking jujitsu gym, we now have a sign that says the name of the gym in neon. Hmm. So like it's been kind of taken by everyone. Well, okay. Th- there, There is an older precedent of like, because people were lighting up neon stuff, like just the chemist, you know, drugstore in 1900 and something like, mm-hmm. you know, so there's that. Yeah. So, but you're saying that that- Well, like the aesthetics. You're saying that they're, they've gotten their aesthetic, not from the old timey, like Hong Kong, you know, and drugstore in the 1800s or whatever, because it's an old technology. You're saying that they got it from like Instagram and galleries. <laughs> I think they definitely got it from Instagram. Really funny. <laughs> I okay. think they definitely got it from Instagram. I remember too, like so many fucking cafes and like upmarket burger shops and like, it's just always the neon words. Yeah, totally. So that is kind of where like, yeah, I don't, like I have seen some of that Hong Kong stuff. I don't yeah. really know about the history, but mm. for me, it's like got this very 2010s aesthetic. Like you yeah. put your words in neon yeah. and like, it makes people it's hungry like, and, yeah. and it makes art. Yeah. And then in the gallery, it kind of just feels like, I guess what we're complaining about is it feels like just you've selected all the text in Google Docs and hit like Apple B, like make it bold. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to say what you're pissed about, but like what I think it makes sense to be pissed I'm mad, about. dude. I'm mad Yeah, you're fucking it. mad. Um, and let me tell you why you ought to be mad. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> this is why you ought to be mad. Justify because it, it feels like a default. Like it feels like it's just like if yeah. I'm an artist, yeah. not a poet, if mm. I might... I, inhabit contemporary art spaces and i want to show some words Mm. they will be shown in neon Mm. and like you were saying like about the white poop white pube Mm. it was a fucking bingo board like words in neon like the beautiful thing about contemporary art is you basically have no restrictions you can use like any material or medium (laughs) and you could like you know right do words in any way (laughs) and it's like nine times out of ten just like we'll do words in neon yeah as we started this i thought like maybe it sells well yeah and maybe that touches why it's like so used in fucking literally setting these up in their homes like hey can you come and fucking install my (laughs) my fucking neon artwork in my fucking fucking maybe it's just like it's just so safe and there's something like the fact that it's so popular in like, you know, six out of 10, like small chain restaurants speaks <laughs> yeah. to it's like blandness. Yes. And it's just, yep. I think it's offensive. Yeah. Like it's kind of the reverse. Like it's offensive to us mm. to walk into a gallery and see something so bland. Yeah. Like it's like, bro, I drove again again. all this way to fucking yeah. <laughs> Paddington to see, to see something see real. Shit. Yeah. And you're giving yeah. me fucking words in neon. Yeah. Like, like it made sense in that show. Yeah. So like Brandon Van Heck. And yeah. like there's some really beautiful, yeah. um, like glass works. Sure. And then in the next room, there was like some really like, it was just pink neon and yeah. like a little, like, I don't know, phrase about the ocean. Yeah. And a rug that we got shouted at for sitting on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did we ever talk about that on the podcast? I think, I think it's, so. I think we're separated now enough that we can tell the story. Oh, yeah, right? we can. So basically we, um, two young, sweet, young, innocent looking lads. We, we went up to, um, the, uh, Brendan Van Heck exhibition. I think it was last year or maybe before this 
most recent lockdown. And we're in there. We're taping a beautiful episode. All the art stuff, uh, all the sort of art adjudicators, what are they called? Invigilators are usually like, cool. People are like interacting. People are talking about it. And these guys were pretty into it. And then um, we were... Uh, in the room with like the rug and the uh, the neon sign, and that was where we decided to set up camp and tape a, a significant segment of the episode. You know, sitting cross-legged on that, and then after about half an hour, someone came in and like I think we could probably run the tape, but it's like someone came in and she was like, "Can you like absolutely fucking get off that right now?" She was like, "I've just sold it, and I you know I'm like terrified about your dirty." you'd like you know civilian shoes touching it it was so funny we had like the dog on on it too like <laughs> slobbering all over it before she came in i don't know it was a funny little like oh okay you know yeah. we were a little bit like what the fuck after that yeah well and i remember the word she used was uh, i need to keep it virginal oh yeah that's Do right you remember that? yeah. yeah um and, oh, and there was one other thing about like the room is like if one thing that i've like learned to do is like take up space in galleries because if you don't let yourself do that it becomes really hard to enjoy them mm, because true. you're scared of them and true. that's like what you see when you see people crowding around like the corners of a room like almost true. hiding and the way this room was set up was yep. that the rug took up the entire room yeah like and the 80 90 percent of the floor space exactly yep. and, and so only, it was yeah. like what are we going to walk on a little board walk <laughs> around the outside shimmy around you know and you know what yeah I, if you had to put money, I'd say most people did shimmy around sure. or they yeah. entered the room, sure. realized there was an art rug yep. and didn't feel comfortable taking another step. Hmm. So, yeah, hmm. yeah. But I mean, yeah. we came out of that show, like realizing that that gallery, hmm. I think it was Sarah Cotier. Yeah. That's you know, right. Like yeah. that's a moneyed gallery. And yeah. it felt like, you know, when we were there, yeah. our experience was that, you know, the people that were there were like there to buy work. Mm. Like it was super wealthy. They were literally showing someone around, kind of trying to fluff them up to yeah. buy something yeah, yeah. while we were there. That's it's true. Not yeah. like fucking- like a shop you know yeah exactly kind of and yeah. you know that is what it is like it's fine yeah it's cool and Artists we need you know outlets for it you know 100 percent. and we kind of get to we get the benefits of mm. you know those rich ass people buying the work mm, we can true. go see it yeah and you know then the space isn't completely yeah. for us but we like, have to take an everyman commission <laughs> exactly yes but yeah and but if we were at like a fucking ari yeah like that would have probably been met with like you know a bunch of young artists like i think in airspace like, yeah it was super like that it was like look at this fucking cool work and mm. then the the like gallery host was like yeah that's my work like you know it's <laughs> yeah. like that's the opposite end where yeah. it's like you sit on that rug and yeah. like, you can and yeah it's cool yeah and then at pari you know maybe we could afford one of those works as well you know yeah Hmm. Okay. We've sort of um, we've uh, diverged a little bit. All of that was because people insist on putting words in neon. <laughs> so <laughs> just oh, it's, it's his fucking really... fault, dude. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So after our big fatty salty breakfast this morning, really t really tasty by the way, um, we went over to the corner shop, uh, our local window gallery just down the road from my place. And we saw, what is it, like 10 photos in the window by Daphne Nguyen. Um, and the show is called Windpipe. Yeah, we actually didn't really talk about the show that much. It was the opposite to if you have heard one of our season one uh, episodes where we're in there sort of really experiencing these works live on the mic. It was kind of the opposite to that experience this morning. We kind of went there, we looked at it and, and we didn't say anything. And you said something really interesting to me when we got back here about it. Do you want to like repeat that for the audience? Yeah. Like I was saying to you, like it was so nice to not have to explain it, mm. explain how I felt. Mm. Like I knew I was seeing something special. 
I knew I was seeing something that I was really getting a lot out of. And I was glad that you didn't ask me like, what do you think of this? Mm -hmm. I was just like, I like it. And you're like, it's cool, huh? Mm. And it just felt so like leisurely and comfortable and like uh, without an end, like Mm. just to stroll up King Street in the sun Mm. and just be like, hey, you want to see this? Mm. Sure. And spend five minutes like on our own terms. And yeah, it's just this whole thing of like, yeah, words, so beautiful, so powerful, so interesting, but also tiring, Mm, mm, you know, like sometimes you just want to see stuff. And it's kind of like the poetry. Sometimes when I feel a need to ask people like, what do you like about it? Like, you know, what do you like about it? What did it mean to you? Like you're asking them to, you know, to justify it in a sense, like in words. Mm. And I see sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. it, It, yeah, interesting. Mm. Um, so, me and my flatmate last, no, two nights ago watched um, this really cool uh, documentary called. Uh, we watched this movie called By the Ways, which was. Um, oh, okay. So, this was uh, the second um, William Eggleston uh, film that I've seen now. Not by him, but about him. And um, he was a photographer that I kind of tuned into for uh, the photography episode, but I was very well aware of him like before that he was one of my sort of early he's every fucking white guy photographer's early hero and um i just i what fascinates me about him is two things which i'll get into in a second but i just want to talk about the film it was it was um so much more satisfying than the first one i watched which was as much about the director being cool as it was about william eggleston being like fucked up and old basically the 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 subject of the film was the 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 person that they painted in that first documentary that i watched was this kind of like fucked up old drinker who doesn't understand what he's doing and doesn't want to get deep about it um but nonetheless is a genius you know it was kind of um sort of told as a a a kind of like a log like you know travel log in a sense is this director following him around the one we watched last night um on the other hand was so refreshing it was much more than a a sort of boring old documentary it was like you know art about an artist it was you know interesting and it had these musical decisions and moments and it had like funny totally incongruous combinations of sound and vision and interesting little micro interviews. They they interview some of the really important people in his life, and all they get to say is about two sentences, <laughs> which don't really have anything to do with his life. It's That's it's funny. almost more about a kind of second order reflection of the kind of impression that he's had on people. Um, and it was so much more satisfying to watch. It was it was the way you know it's a cool way to just experience um, you know an, an artist's like output and an artist's personhood in that yeah. kind of abstract lens like taking artistic liberties yeah. to make a better point yeah and, it, and, and it, making it, art it was a lot clearer i yeah. thought because of that it was it was a bit more sort of maybe a little bit more sort of non-traditional and yeah. a little bit crunchier than the first one i watched but yeah that's the, of the two i would recommend that one but what was really interesting was they had this kind of funny moment in in it where they had um i think that the like little it, it was made up of 12 like mini chapters and i think the chapter was called the german journalist and it's this journalist probably from like a sort of art magazine you know maybe in berlin trying his very best to get a deep like deep um you know uni level lecturer answer from william eggleston asking him questions like um i feel like when you are walking around and you see a picture 
and you take that picture, what you're feeling is represented exactly in what you're seeing. And and all of his questions were these kind of convoluted, sort of self-defeating, weird, like basically like almost language play. And all William Eggleston said basically to, in response to all of them is, I don't really understand what that is. And, you know, I don't really think like that, you know. Um, and he basically just had one word answers for all of it. And it kind of got me thinking about how, you know, um, for example, in in the visual arts, like just having a, a, a visual thing to say, pretty much like easily defeats the the power of language to express that same thing every time. It's like just it cannot be trumped, you know. It's like that famous quote about writing about music is like dancing about architecture. I've heard that quote a lot of times, but unfortunately, it's very true in this case. Um, so, did you have anything to add to my um, TED talk about? <laughs> vision versus you know I think what I wanted to get across was that you know I, I really do believe that this artist Eggleston is is um you know I, I think today it's a bit like played out and boring I'm, I'm sort of interested in it almost in a historical sense but you know he, he was totally worthy without having to understand what he was doing from an academic um standpoint and and even how him trying to explain it would just be boring and, and limited you know so of course. do you have anything to add to that i agree big time i think yeah it's a, it's a really cool take and it's a really important thing just to like i completely agree with the documentary thing just as a quick aside i hate the aesthetics that we've agreed upon for like the standard documentary. I think it's a lie and I hate it <laughs> and it needs to be fucked with for the truth to make sense. Like, yeah, I think right, like the whole right. Netflix docker thing is just, it's such a trash yeah. fucking wanky, uh, manipulative mm. form that mm. we've agreed on. It makes you feel, yeah, anyway, yeah. not a fan. Yep. Um, but, uh, really both. yeah, but, uh, like it's slightly like the point stands, but it's slightly different when we talk about an artist and their own work. Than when we talk about like a an audience member and mm. someone else's work, mm. because yeah, the audience, the the artist can always say, you know, it's all in the work, it's all in the work. Mm. Stop interviewing me, and mm. that's like a common trope, and mm -hmm. that's fine. But it, it's still like the overall point is completely true. It's like, what is the? Is it because I think maybe it's because with poetry and contemporary art, because we don't have a huge natural audience, mm. what we have, especially in Australia, is a academic like there's a you know you look at the poetry journals and everyone's a poet editor mm. a poet critic mm. you know a poet professor because to sustain yourself and have like a decent middle class mm -hmm. existence mm -hmm. as an artist you, oh yeah well, especially as a poet mm. and often as an artist as a poet even more so yeah yeah poet and contemporary artist less so with music but let's look at poet, poetry and contemporary artists like you pretty much have to get back into some kind of teaching or you know that's the common career trajectory right totally yep and you look at the skills that you're teaching students and the way you're measuring students it's essays like mm. even at our school mm. it's essays and words and speaking mm. and i know there was some interesting i wish i remembered his name um but he did is a, a well-known aussie artist who did some really interesting stuff i think it's david capra mm. does some uh, like social practice stuff and his um uh like thesis i don't even remember how it was presented but it was really non-traditional mm. um but most of the time you're not really allowed to challenge that and you are forced to like, what, what do they call like statement of intent, mm. that kind of shit. And so I think the academic world has become so intertwined with like the art world mm. that the skills that you're learning and the kind of unquestionable way that you're 
learning to consider art, like even to conceive of art and think about it and analyze it is through words mm. because they're measurable. Yeah. It's like you have to now operationalize your feelings as an mm. artist mm. Yeah. so that like you can function in the system because if it's all chaos yeah like what's yeah. gonna happen but mm. maybe that's what art school was more chaotic back in the 60s 70s hmm. and i know like it must be frustrating to be like you're like i'm a fucking painter and i need to write <laughs> i need to write thousand words essays. yeah it's but, like yeah, yeah now but, you're asking me to write yeah, yeah yeah but from the audience perspective it's just like damn it's boring sometimes man mm. and it's funny because like this whole podcast is us talking about like <laughs> art and like shit but yeah. sometimes it's just boring to like have to use this you're saying like, it's mm. an inadequate tool mm. You know, like, I just yeah. want to, like, look at you. Like, we're looking at each other right now. And yeah. We were sitting here on your bed the other yeah. night, like, drunk and kind of just looking at each other sure. and smiling at yeah. each other. Yeah. And that was something. Like, that was something really cool. And, yeah, sometimes it's like words are not going to get you there. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, I think, I think, you know, it's, there's, there is definitely some, like, deep, we should talk to a fucking psychologist about this, but there's some deep, like, brain structures about language. And they've, they've proven, basically, that you have, like, a network of neurons in your brain that just handle grammar, you know, and there's other ones that just handle vocab. They're these, like, big structures that, you know, from birth, you're, you're granted, you're, you're sort of born with these, these capabilities. And I just think that, um, you know, the same is true of, of vision, you know, and, and of sound and, and so many other things. Like, um, I, I, I don't know, like, exactly, you know, I'm sort of just, like, getting what I've gotten from, like, new scientist type writings. Mm. I'm not an academic by any stretch of the imagination. But I think, you know, the, the voice above all else is, has be, you know, it's just in our whatever evolutionary shakedown, our, the way, the sort of state of things that we have is this super um, accessible and everyday thing. You know, we are, have built our whole society on words, really. You know, we, we don't, we don't like, you can't just like take a picture of your income in some kind of non-numerical <laughs> sense and send that to the tax man, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah, that would you know, be cool, just every, That would be cool. Complete like, abstract a complete reality. chaos. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, words order things for us. And, and, you know, they always say humans like categorizing and we like that stuff. Mm. But mm. I think if humans are into art too, um, which I think they have to be f f to feel sane, yeah. to feel anything in this yeah. book, as well, um, <laughs> is, uh, it's, it's, it's so necessary to forget the word, you know, yeah. and, and just to think visually. That's the other thing that I loved about that documentary was just to see, you know, a pro, um, thinking visually, you know, he's walking around a paddock and just seeing him hold his camera and sort of approach different <laughs> scenes and walk up on stuff and framing and reframing and like, no, I, I, I'm going to abort. I don't like that. I won't even hit the shutter button. Just seeing someone think so visually made me kind of mourn for that absence in my life. You know, I'm, I, and I am a photographer. I carried a camera around with me today and I'm obsessed with it, but I still feel, I mean, we're on a fucking podcast for God's sake. I'm, <laughs> I'm so chatty and it's like, I, you know, I, I, I love how deep that world of that nonverbal world is. One thing that occurred to me as you were speaking was like, yeah, language is this way of like ordering the world. Mm. Let's take that like back to our earlier poetry discu discussion for a minute mm. where we're talking about, you know, why is it so tough? Mm. It's like, okay, words is the structure that we've given everyone to comprehend the world. Mm. And now I'm showing you this fucking dinky little page <laughs> where the poet, where the words are all over the place mm. and they're stopping and starting in mm. weird uh, spots. And the, you know, the order and safety and like 
what you expect words to be able to do for you, words on a page, it's like instructions, it's a novel, it's a book, you know how to handle them. Mm-hmm. And I've completely broken it. And the words don't mean what they say they mean. <laughs> and it's hard. And there's weird references. And the words are all over the place. It's like yeah. this thing that you fundamentally use to like navigate the world in a very, you know, utilitarian way. Mm-hmm. Also a very like, you know, mm-hmm. with emotions and so on. Sure. But but yeah, for the most part, it's used to order the world. Mm-hmm. And a poem is kind of, you know, chaos. And that's, mm-hmm. Like one of the joys of it is that you're using the everyday, the word, this everyday like useful unit Mm. and you're like bending it into like, you know, artistic and and powerful non-utilitarian ways. I like one thing. I don't know if we'll use it or not. Yeah. But just about John Ashbury, because like we've ended up getting to a pretty cool spot. Um like where we're talking about, yeah, like the nature of poetry. Okay, cool. I want to read this bit. So yeah, this is just like a Poetry Foundation article on another like New York school poet called John Ashbury who kind of, yeah, was in that Oh, world. they were c- contemporaries. I didn't realize yeah, that. He just sounds world. like one of the like old American ones. <laughs> yeah, no, they're mates. Because his name sounds old. Yeah, and he's great. Like he's one of my favorite poets. And yeah, po- Poetry Foundation, like if you're looking to get into art is a really nice way to get into it because it's got like scans of the magazine, it's got like just lists of poems and then it's got like little bits of context if that's interesting to you. But it's a really nice way to just like go and explore. It's awesome and it has a really nice like UI and stuff. Um, but I just read like a bit from like the sort of chunk on him. It says, uh, uh, although even his strongest supporters agreed that his poetry is often difficult to read and willfully difficult to understand, many critics also commented in the manner in which Ash- Ashbury's fluid style conveys a major concern in his poetry. The refusal to impose an arbitrary order on a world of flux and chaos. His poetry is open-ended and multivarious because life itself is. This is a quote from him. I don't find any direct statements in life. My poetry imitates or reproduces the way knowledge or awareness has come to me, which is by fits and starts by indirection. Mm. I don't think poetry arranged in neat patterns would reflect that situation. My poetry is disjunct, but then so is life. And yeah, that really like reading that like really like meant a lot to me because whenever I share these poems there, like, yeah, I forget how difficult they are because I've lived with Ashbury like in my, in my, brain and my mm-hmm. body for on the dome so many years now since uni like i took an english class so it's like 10 years that i've like been reading these poems and yeah i just and i wanted to read like one other peak like a chunk from one of his poems mm-hmm. that's been coming up to me now both like when i write poetry but also when i work like mm. I work as a coder and this is kind of how it feels too to like be a programmer so this is the end of a poem called uh, And Pictura Poesis is Her Name, hmm. which is kind of cool for the podcast. It's like, a, I think it was like a Horace article and it's like Latin for like, uh, as is uh, painting, so is poetry, mm. like uh, kind of making mm-hmm. them the same in some way. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so I'm just going to read you like the last kind of chunk of this poem. Something ought to be written about how this affects you when you write poetry. The extreme austerity of an almost empty mind colliding with the lush Rousseau-like foliage of its desire to communicate something between breaths, if only for the sake of others and their desire to understand you and desert you for other centres of communication so that understanding may begin and in doing so be undone. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Some classic Ashbury shit. Yeah, 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 great, yeah. yeah. Great, okay, let's go to Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. Our Artist of the Week this week is Daphne Nguyen. 
Daphne is an accomplished fashion photographer who has shown in magazines like Harper's Bazaar. You can see the show called Windpipe at the corner shop in Newtown. Go and check it out. All right. Okay. See you later, dude. Latest. Bye.